0: You know, Rob, obviously we've been talking a lot the last number of days and weeks about uh, Shang-Chi and the successful run it's been having. You know, we were talking about after its big opening weekend of like $75 million, how would it do in its second weekend? It didn't take the big second weekend drop like a lot of other films had. Held really strong with a really, really strong 52% and it made a lot more money. Well, Rob, it has once again... For the third week in a row, coming at number one at the box office again. It is now sitting, it made $21.7 million, which represents only a 37.5% drop from week one to week two. It's a 60-something percent drop from week one to week three, which is a smaller drop than a lot of other films have been having from week one to week two. So it's made another twenty one point seven million dollars, bringing its domestic total up to one hundred and seventy six million dollars. You know, Rob, I was saying a few days ago, do I think Shang Chi can actually hit two hundred million domestic? And I said, eh, that might be a bit of a stretch, but it's already sitting at one hundred and seventy six. Maybe it is within the realm of possibility, and it brings up Shang Chi's total worldwide total now to over three hundred and twenty million dollars, which means it is now officially profitable. The film is now making money; it's in the it's in the black. Uh, so good for it. I, of course, Rob went to go watch Shang Chi for the seventh time uh, <laughs> on uh, on Friday. Uh, me and Anne and a couple of friends of ours we went to go see Shang Chi. was their first time seeing it. They were just buzzing afterwards. I got to see it for my seventh time. I I might now be good, Rob. I might be good now as far as my in theatrical Shang-Chi viewings. I think now I can wait to watch it again until it comes out on Disney plus whatever. But uh, anyway, another big wing for Shang-Chi, not just, uh, look, it's not a terrible surprise that it came in at number one at the box office. Again, not a lot of strong competition. You know, the, the, Uh, Tammy Faye wasn't going to beat it. Cry Macho wasn't going to beat it. Uh, Cop Shop wasn't going to beat it. So it's not a big surprise it was number one. The real thing here is in its third weekend, it made over $20 million. That's huge. Rob, your thoughts on uh, Shang-Chi taking top spot again for the third week and the numbers it continues to pull in.
1: Well, you know, John, yesterday I, too, went and saw Shang-Chi again. I went with the cute-as-a-button Connie Sang, our friend, and Elizabeth. She'd never seen it. We went and saw it in IMAX at the Burbank uh, 16. And it was just as delightful as it was. And I, Elizabeth, loved it. And there were a lot of people there. And it, I, I think it's what we've been saying, John. It's, it's, a, it's a crowd-pleasing, rollicking, rousingly fun piece of entertainment. And it really delivers the goods, and I think that's why people are going back and seeing it again. And I wouldn't be surprised if this breaks two hundred million dollars. I could see that happening. I don't know if it will, but if it, it 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 still even is doing good business during the week, so it very very could very possibly could by the end of next weekend pass two hundred million. But man, let me tell you, as we t- it it's had September to itself, but no way. Uh with Venom Let There Be Carnage opening on October 1st. It's gonna <laughs> I'm sorry, but it's gonna get clobbered. It's a, but it but it's had its September. Shang-Chi has owned September, but man, come October. I what a brutal month. Although it's great for us as moviegoers, but wow.
0: And and speaking of of like really interesting success, let's talk about the movie that came in number two at the box office. In its sixth week, in its sixth week. Free Guy, the Ryan Reynolds film, film Free yep. Guy, still sits in second place in its sixth week. It made another $5.2 million, bringing Free Guy up to 298 so basically $300 million on a $100 million film. It has also uh, been quite profitable for them. This little film that I, quite frankly, did not expect much from, uh, it kind of looked kind of, I mean, there were interesting trailers. I didn't dislike the trailers. They're they interesting. Trailers. I thought this could be cute. Ryan Reynolds is of course my favorite movie star in the world, but I was not ready for how fun that movie was and how interesting that movie is. So that did well. A couple of other interesting notes out of all the films making their debut this week, which was cry macho cop shop and the, the eyes of Tammy Faye. Uh, cry macho came into the number three at the box office with 4.5 million cop shop, uh, the new Gerard Butler Frank Grillo film, and I really like Frank Grillo and um, and Gerard Butler in this film. Although I didn't like the film overall, unfortunately, but Cop Shop made two point three million in its opening weekend. And uh, The Eyes of Tammy Faye, which only opened limited, made about $600,000, which I'm very actually excited to see that movie. I didn't have. It. I went to my local theater to try to check it out. It wasn't quite there, so I'm going to have to watch it at some point. So I haven't had a chance to see that. But interesting, that Free Guy in its sixth week holds on to the number two spot there, which is uh, congratulations again to everybody involved with, uh, with Free Guy because, uh, I mean, it couldn't happen to a nicer movie. It honestly couldn't happen to a nicer movie. Anyway, question is for you guys. What do you think about Shang-Chi not just holding the number one spot the box office for the third week in a row? That was kind of expected, but still pulling in the money it has. What do you think about free Guy? still holding on to the number two spot and still making money as well in its sixth week? Whatever you guys are thinking, jump on down to the comment section below and let us know your thoughts. All right, guys. Uh, Also want to mention here that Carlos uh, Quisada and Marie Seifring also send in Super Chat badges in the live chat. Thank you guys very much. Thank you for your support. All right. Let's now move on to another off the top. And that one is this. You know, for you guys who watch my show for any uh, period of time, you know that one of my, you know, in my heart favorite directors is Kenneth Branagh. I think Kenneth Branagh is... First of all, just an amazing overall talent. The dude can act. He's a terrific Shakespearean actor. The dude can write and the dude can direct. And he directed what I consider to be, Rob, the second most underappreciated comic book film of all time, which I believe is his uh, incredible first Thor movie. The first Thor, I actually went to see in theaters eight times. Eight times is what I went to go see Thor. I was just blown away by it. You know, it really showed what the MCU could be. Rather than a big flashy superhero extravaganza, it was a story about a father and his sons. And I just love what you know Kenneth Branagh, with the Shakespearean background, was able to bring to that. Loved it. Now, when I was at CinemaCon a few weeks ago in Las Vegas, one of the films that they you know did big previews for for us, and Kenneth Branagh did an introduction for it, was Kenneth Branagh's new film Belfast, and. In its basic level, Belfast is about a young boy growing up in, you know, in the musical background of the tumultuous 1960s in in Belfast, Ireland. And they showed us the trailer and they showed us some footage. And then the trailer dropped publicly a little while ago. And while I love Kenneth Branagh, I was not thrilled with the trailers because, Rob, I couldn't understand at all what the movie was about. (laughs) You know, I mean, I'm watching the. you you and I talked about juice like, listen, I love Kenneth Branagh and I want to support Kenneth Branagh. And there, it's it's definitely given you a little sense of the DNA. The film's in black and white, but I honestly have no idea what this movie's even about. Not a clue. Well, I guess we're going to find out, Rob, because maybe some people still consider the Toronto International Film Festival to maybe be the most significant film festival in the world because of the nature of it. The Toronto International Film Festival was obviously just being held in September here, and their basic top prize, the People's Choice Award at the Toronto International Film Festival has been announced and it is Kenneth Branagh's new film, Belfast. Yeah. Which takes their their top People's Choice Award prize, which to me is absolutely, I mean, I'm thrilled. I'm absolutely thrilled because the movie looks incredible. Of course, directed by Kenneth Branagh. It's got Syrian Heinz in it, who's always great in everything he does. It also stars Fifty Shades of Grey. Yes, Fifty Shades of Grey star Jamie Doran um, is in it as well. And again, this was one that even though I really like Kenneth Branagh, I'm like, oh, I don't actually know if this is going to be any good or not. Even though the studio at CinemaCon was saying, this movie's great. We love this movie. Well, it just took home one of the biggest festival season prizes that there is. Super thrilled for it. Rob, you know, you've seen the trailer for Belfast. You understand the, the work of Kenneth Branagh. Number one, Where's your anticipation level right now for Belfast, and what do you think of it taking home the Toronto top prize? And does that affect your anticipation for the film?
1: Well, like you, I'm a huge Kenneth Branagh fan. I mean, I I remember seeing Henry V, which was his directorial debut, and just being knocked out by it. And he not only directed it, but of course, he stars in it as well. And then everything that he's been involved in, he has. He's had a really interesting directorial career, you know, doing things like Dead Again and. Uh, I loved Thor like you did. I, I was very surprised after seeing Iron Man. I'm like, how are they going to make Thor exist in the same universe as Iron Man? Are we going to believe it? Because of Asgard and the gods. And I'm like, wow, it really, I, I thought it was terrific. And like you, it's its one of the most unsung of the MCU films. And then I really liked, you know, um, Murder on the Orient Express. And I'm, i you know, now he's got death on the Nile. Are we ever going to see that? But I certainly hope we can because I can't wait. And it's really I think it's great to hear that he's done a very sort of autobiographical film of, about his youth or about the youth of uh, uh, or from his youth. And uh, I, the movie appeals to me. I, I didn't quite like you said, the trailers, the trailers look good. I'm just like, I didn't really know what to make of them. Like, what kind of a movie is this? But now we know. And I'm I'm excited. I really want to
0: see it. You know, I feel like we've been getting, just like the movies themselves, trailers and the nature of trailers. By the way, I have a documentary called Movie Trailers, A Love Story. You should go find it now on Amazon. Anyway, um, like the movies themselves, trailers tend to go through, you know, uh, waves of, what's the word I'm looking for? Trends, right? And I feel like lately the trend for trailers has been, first trailer... Don't give anything about the movie way. Just kind of give a taste of what the feel of the movie is like. And then when the second trailer comes, the second trailer quite often now is the one that kind of gives you, okay, here's what the movie's about now. I felt like they did that with Dune. Like the first Dune trailer was really didn't give you much. It was just really a trailer that was designed for people who were already familiar with Dune, but it just kind of give you a sense of the feel. And then the second trailer came out and that's when we get, you know, the great houses, you know, the house of Trades and Paul and the girl in the desert and the Harkonnen, it starts to actually now give you and paint you a picture. I wonder if that's what we're getting with Belfast that the first trailer was just, Hey, here's a little bit of a feel for what this movie is. Now we'll tell you what the movie's about in the second trailer. So I will look forward to the second trailer. The question is for you guys. What do you think about the looks of Belfast, directed by the great Kenneth Branagh, taking the top prize at the Toronto International Film Festival? Where's your anticipation level for it? Does it, winning this prize, affect your anticipation level for it? It does for me. Whatever you guys are thinking about it, jump down into the comments section below and let us know your thoughts. Okay, guys. With that down, let's do one more off the top, shall we? And that one more off the top, I think we have one more off the top. Yes, that one more off the top is this. You know, Rob, uh, last night was the big night for the television industry, which is, of course, the Emmys. Now, I didn't watch the Emmys. I was busy writing show notes and doing other things and watching Monday Night Football until that game ended uh, and working on different stuff for the channel. So I didn't have a chance to watch the Emmys. But I was very interested in what the results of the Emmys would be. And so I thought we would take a minute here and check out the results for the Emmys. And I got to say, for the most part, Rob, I have to say I'm totally aligned with what the Emmy results were. For the most part, I'm really – actually, in a couple, I was very pleasantly surprised about a couple of the results that I was really rooting for that I didn't actually think would get – so, but overall, generally speaking, I think the Emmys really nailed it as far as you know the winners list. And by the way, Jose XCI sends in a super chat badge in the live chat. Thank you, Jose. I appreciate that. So let's take a minute here now and actually kind of run through the Emmy awards and and who the big winners are. Now, the two big winners of the night were on the drama side, The Crown, which just like won almost everything, and then on the comedy side, not surprisingly, but very welcomely. Ted Lasso swept up just about everything at uh, on the comedy side of the Emmys, with a few other really interesting notes here and there as well. So let's just go through here for a second. Take a look at the winners list, shall we? Uh, on a limited series, you know, WandaVision got nominated for best limited series, which we all thought was great. Um, this one really came down to two. Rob, as far as I was concerned, this one was going to come down to The Queen's Gambit and Mare of Easttown. I personally was leaning a little bit Mayor of Easttown, but I have no complaints with the Queen's Gambit winning limited series. Rob, I know you're a huge fan of this show. What do you think about Queen's Gambit uh, taking best limited series?
1: Oh, I you know, it's one of my favorite things I've seen in, in the last couple of years. So it, it didn't surprise me. And, and Anya Taylor-Joyce, incredible in it. And it was just beautifully made. So kudos to Scott Frank and everybody involved. And um, I'm very excited. Yeah, again.
0: I would have, I would have personally leaned Mare of Town, but Queen's Gambit was so good. Zero complaints so for me. Zero complaints from me. All right. Next up was Best Drama Series. And really, no surprise. And the right show won. I mean, I was super excited that the boys got nominated. I was super excited that The Mandalorian got nominated. I was very, very happy to see Lovecraft Country getting nominated. Even though, as it turns out, since it's been canceled, it should have been under the limited series category, but what have you. But uh, the crown, the crown, Rob, listen, uh, we, we've talked a lot about crown was the big winner of the evening. Really. We've talked before about how, look, we get it. The crown is not the kind of show that would generally appeal to us or a lot of people that would watch this show. But even though it is not, I am not the target demographic of a show like that. When I have sat down and watched that show with Anne, I have constantly been floored by the quality of that show. Again, it is just ridiculous what they're able to do on that show and and how beautifully it is shot, how beautifully it is acted, the way they lay out their stories, the almost anthology way they move from season to season as we've gone through the life of Queen Elizabeth, starting out with Claire Foy, you know, winning awards and now moving on and now more awards being won. But listen, I know a lot of people, the, the, the heart for a lot of people watching this show probably would have been Mandalorian or maybe The Boys. But honestly I think the right show won this the Crown wins Rob what do you think about the Crown taking best drama series
1: Well I you know people dude since that show's come on it's been a phenomenon and it I mean it is I think a brilliantly made show a brilliantly cast show and this season you know it I know it's based in real life but I always tune in and I I I'm amazed at just how engrossing the show is and they really they do it's just just I'll be sad to see it go. Like I, I'm like, will it go into the future? You <laughs> know, I mean it's <laughs> it's 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 a it's a it's a terrific show. All
0: right, let's so then we move on to the other big winner of the evening, which was best comedy series. Some very, very good. I was surprised to see Cobra Kai got nominated there, but um listen, and my wife is right now watching pen fifteen obsessively. <laughs> like my wife right now is obsessed with pen fifteen. But listen, Ted Lasso which was a show that I fully admit I had zero interest in. I mean, I like Jason Sudeikis who doesn't like Jason Sudakis? I mean, so I like him, but I saw the trailers for, it and I thought this just looks like an overly elongated Saturday night live skit. What happens if an American football coach who knows nothing about soccer moves to London to take over a soccer team? I mean, it sounds like a sketch. It doesn't sound like a series. And then I even watched the first episode. I'm like, okay, well, that was interesting, but I don't think the show's really got it. And then I watched the second episode and I got instantly hooked. Ted Lasso has become like a major, major uh, show sitting at the forefront of our pop cultural conversations the last while. And I think it was a no brainer that this thing was going to win. And it absolutely it was a no-brainer to win because it deserved to win. This is a beautiful special show that is not just funny, it's incredibly heartfelt. Rob, it's one of these rare shows. It doesn't have a bad guy. There's no villain. Like it's it's just it's a show that I this is the way I describe Ted Lasso. It's a show about good people doing good things and 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 their struggles that they have being good people. It's it's just a terrific, it makes my heart smile when I watch a damn thing. I didn't quite like the last episode, the one about, I, I love Coach Beard. I do, but the whole episode was a little bit weird for me. But anyway, aside from that, this show, it won. It deserved to win. Rob, your thoughts on Ted Lasso taking the top prize?
1: Well, again, dude, have you heard? That show is a phenomenon. Yeah. I I don't think I can remember, maybe since the Red Wedding in Game of Thrones, that uh, people people talk about... I've just never heard people talk about a show the way they talk about Ted Lasso. And it's funny because it's taken a lot of people, like even me, I started watching it with Elizabeth and I was late to that party, but it's the kind of show that people keep discovering. And I I get these calls, Hey man, have you seen Ted Lasso? And everyone, it's like a club. And now the club has been recognized with the biggest awards that the, the industry can give. And I think that it's just, It's such a show, John. I got to tell you, when I started watching it, I'm like, what is this show? You know, I didn't know. Uh, You have to watch it like a couple of episodes. You got to get into it to realize what kind of a show it is. And then when you do, it's irresistible.
0: (laughs) No, That's the best way. It's irresistible. Lasso is irresistible. And I, it won me over in the second episode and I, Ann and I now every week we, we count down to when the next episode is. And and so congratulations to them. And you're going to hear Ted Lasso's name about up. Okay. Let's look at a couple of others. The best variety special, no big surprise was Hamilton. Uh, I mean, they did a phenomenal job putting that thing to screen the way they, 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 the way they shot it, the way the cinematography of it, the way it's put together. Beautifully done. Although I would have been good with a West Wing special to benefit uh, when we all vote. That West Wing special on HBO was fantastic, but totally Hamilton won it. Yep. a Variety special with Stephen Colbert's election night uh, coverage. Uh, lead actor in a drama series, Prince Charles, Josh O'Connor, Again, I was super happy to see Jonathan Majors nominated for Lovecraft Country. I was, even though I'm not a huge fan of Perry Mason, the show, Matthew Reese is great in it. So it was good to see him nominated as well. But Josh O'Connor winning for the crown, my opinion, it was the right choice. He was absolutely phenomenal in that as Prince Charles. Uh, then also sticking with the crown, best lead actress in a drama series, Olivia Coleman adding to her trophy collection, Rob. This lady's. <laughs> (laughs) This lady's got Oscars and Emmys and everything coming out of her ass, but it's just no taking away. Listen, I really wondered how the crown would do after Claire Foy was no longer going to be queen Elizabeth once she wasn't because she was so much of the heartbeat of that show. But then you realized, Nope, they're moving along just fine. And Olivia Coleman is, has been nothing but spectacular. And again, this is a lady. If she keeps going, if Olivia Coleman keeps going at this pace, She's going to be in the conversation with Kate Blanchett. She's going to get into the conversation with Meryl Streep, and she's going to get into the conversation with, um, who was just the star of Nomad, Nomadland. Uh, why am I uh, freezing on her name? And uh, three billboards in Ebbing, Missouri, and Fargo. Why... She, she Francis, just won her McDormand. Th- Francis McDormand just won her third Academy Award. Like <laughs> Olivia Coleman is going to end up in a conver- I'm not saying she's going to be literally on their level or above, but she's going to be in when you have that conversation. If she just keeps winning these trophies. Every year, she's going to end up in this conversation. And hey, quick thoughts on on uh, Olivia Colman, Rob winning uh, another well, I award. Mean,
1: uh, dude, uh, again, she's uh, she. What's it called an EGOT? Is she going to get? Is she, she going to get? She, she needs to record a pop album a and, and, and win a Grammy. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's uh, uh, she's first of all, whenever I've seen her on shows like the Graham Norton Show or something, she just seems, she's just delightful. So and she's an incredible actress, so I, I couldn't be happier for her. it's great.
0: It's, it's great. great. All right. We move on out to best lead actor in a limited series or movie. I was kind of cheering for Paul Bettany in WandaVision as well. He was great in that. And listen, and Hugh Grant in The Undoing, Lin-Manuel, Branda in Hamilton, Leslie Odom Jr. in Hamilton. But I never saw Halston with Ewan McGregor. Oh, I, I never, did. I never saw it. So when it popped up that Ewan McGregor, our Obi-Wan Kenobi, won Best Lead Actor in a Limited Series, I was kind of caught by a surprise, but that's only because I hadn't seen it. But Rob, you have seen it. What do you think about uh, Ewan McGregor winning that award? Oh,
1: he was incredible. I mean, I have to say I was a little disappointed in the show itself, uh, but he was incredible. I just thought it was a little bit surfacy. You know, it was a little superficial, but it was really well done. I just wanted more from the writing, but that's, that's a minor criticism. Hugh McGregor was, I mean, he was so immersed in that role. He was so good in it. So it's not surprising. And, you know, we should mention that um, they've wrapped uh, the Obi-Wan series, John. Yep. So, so it's, a to that too. it's a good month. It's a
0: good for month Hugh and McGregor for you and, right now. Yeah. Uh, speaking, listen, as far as I was concerned, going into the Emmys, I mean, look, we all knew The Crown was going to win Best Series. We knew Ted Lasso was going to win Best Comedy Series. And there's a few other things as well. But to me, if you had asked me prior to the Emmys, what is the one absolute lock award of the evening that you would be shocked to hell if it didn't win? Like, if you had to say one was an absolute lock, lock this is the one I would have said. Best actress in a limited series or a movie, Kate Winslet for Mare of Easttown. Rob, well. when you and I... Saw Mayor of Easttown. We're yeah. both like, uh, with the forty-seven Oscar nominations that Kate Winslet has, and all the awards and accolades. This may be the best we have ever seen her. In Mar- now listen, there was a big, big competition in the form of Anya Taylor Joy for Queen's Gambit, uh, so no dis. When I say that Kate, I thought was a lock for this. No disrespect for Anna Taylor Joy or Elizabeth Olsen in WandaVision or whatever, but I mean, Rob, we, we knew, you and I knew when we were watching Mayor of East Town, you and I would talk all, every week after, like we would watch episodes yep. and stuff. Like they it's like, sh- she is just at the height of her powers right now. Like I've and never also- seen her better.
1: No, and and that performance was fearless. I mean, in terms of an actress, she, you know, she certainly was not glammed up for that part. And she did a, just an amazingly, uh, just a fearless, I, I was blown away by her, blown away by her.
0: All right, moving on to uh, some of the more notable ones. Then we get no big surprise here. Best lead actor in a comedy series. Ted Lasso takes best series and its but- star, Jason Sudeikis. Takes the uh, best. I thought there might have been a little bit of an outside chance for William H Macy because Shameless is wrapping up, uh, but I mean Jason Sudeikis winning that—it's—it's it's, he is Ted Lasso. He is the heart and soul of the show. So no big, uh, uh, no big things for that. Best lead actress in a comedy. I'll be honest with you. I really would have thought that it was going to go to Kaylee Kuko for the flight attendant. I really thought she was going to take it but it went to Gene Smart for Hacks. And Hacks again
1: though, she's amazing.
0: And she, listen, Hacks actually was probably if you say um the Crown and, and Ted Lasso were the two big winners of the night, Hacks won a number of big awards as well. So it it availed itself pretty pretty well. Rob, what do you think about Gene Smart winning for Hacks?
1: Well, first of all, she's one of my favorite actresses. And you know, I was listening to her, she was talking on a I think it was an older interview, but I was listening to an interview with her on NPR. Dude, not only is she great in that show, she did a movie with William Shatner that came out earlier this year called Senior Moment, and she was in Watchmen. I mean, she's just crushing it. I love her, and I'm so happy to see her. I've I've seen one episode of the show, but it was great.
0: Um, And then speaking about big wins for Hacks, it won also for Best Directing for a Comedy Series, so it won for that as well. Uh, Outstanding Writing for a Comedy Series, again, Hacks, uh, so, one, you know, best lead actress, so one best direction, <coughs> and one best writing for it. So, that's there. Uh, best variety sketch series, Saturday Night Live, which it only had one other competitor. I don't even know if that should be a category, to be honest with you. Best variety talk series. Uh, this was interesting, but again, uh, this was a no brainer. Uh, last Week Tonight with John Oliver. the The writing on Last Week Tonight with John Oliver and the research that goes into that show and the presentation of it and the humor and the. It is informative it is sharp it is a uh, higher concept but it's also ravagingly hilarious he did he did an episode once rob on Vince McMahon in the WWE, which was one of the funniest things I've seen on television in the last couple of years, where he just kept going back to the phrase, professional wrestling is better than the things you like. And then it goes on. I mean, he's just really, really good. So, I mean, the, Stephen Colbert is great. Uh, Kimmel's great. Trevor Noah's great. Conan is great. I thought there might have been a little bit of a, an emotional thing with Conan coming to an end, but uh, last week tonight won. It's, it's the one that should have won and it did win. What do you think, Rob, about that result?
1: I mean, you know, the thing is, none of these results are controversial. I mean, I think that everybody, these are richly deserved honors. So I'm I'm all for it. (laughs) I mean, it's, I think so often we don't think that the Oscars get it right, but I think the Emmys this year, they stuck the landing, certainly. Yeah,
0: at least in our opinion. All right, moving on to Best Supporting Actor in a Drama Series, uh, Prince Philip, uh, Tobias, uh, Menzies, again, the, another win for The Crown. Dude, uh, takes come on. Oh, so good. So good. So good. Um, uh, then it's Best Supporting Actress in a Drama Series. Again, The Crown, another win. Gillian Anderson as the Iron Lady. Gillian Anderson as the Prime Minister, Margaret Thatcher. Rob, I have always liked Gillian Anderson. I've always liked her, whether she was in... You know X Files, or whether she's in Hannibal, or wherever she pops up. Clearly, Dude. she's good, but her in the Crown as Margaret Thatcher—that to me was a coming out party. Like that to me was, oh yeah, you like Gillian Anderson, but did you know how good she is? And I have to admit, I was—I ne- never would have guessed she was as good as she was in that she takes home best supporting actress in a drama series for the crown. What do you think about her win? Well, first of all, Jillian
1: Anderson between doing what she was doing on the crown. And she's also in the Netflix series, sex education. Yes. She's, she's just been crushing it too. I I mean, look, John, I was a huge X-Files fan. She was amazing in Hannibal. I mean, she's just quietly been, been putting up, you know, she's like a, a credible MVP wherever she goes. She just, puts up the points man i mean she's an amazing actress and what's interesting is you know she's british and hearing her like like she's not putting on an act that was how she grew up and the fact that she's got that accent it's i always you know i always have to do a double take but she's she's amazing she's always been amazing i love her she's right. great in american gods i love oh,
0: uh, by the way, and again, going on with the crown it's highlighting its dominance of the night. It won best directing in a drama series, the crown. It also won best writing in a drama series, uh, as well for the crown. So there's that, uh, best supporting actor. This is going to get a lot. Pe- I, this was a one that surprised me. This was one that surprised me because honestly, I thought maybe it would go to David Diggs for Hamilton, but going back to Mare town, Evan Peters, our Quicksilver. <laughs> Our, you know, Mr. Boner from WandaVision, Evan Peters. And you know what? He won uh, for Best Supporting Actor in a Limited Series for *Mayor of Easttown. And Rob, while I am surprised they gave it to him, it is a welcome surprise. He yes. was actually wonderful in that. I mean, who, know, who knew this kid, this like side character kid from Kick-Ass would go on to win an Emmy. But it is. it was very, again, I, I would have been cool if a couple of other people won this. But- <laughs> And I didn't think it was going to be Evan Peters, but he was fantastic. Well-deserved. Your thoughts on Evan Peters taking that home?
1: Well, again, he's another actor between, like, what he does in what, America? And, and and I mean, I loved him as Quicksilver. And then he was great in this role, too. Again, he's an actor who we're probably going to be seeing for decades to come. And, again, I, I just think that show, Mare of Easttown, was incredibly well-written. It was beautifully made. And it's not surprising that it had such a great showing at the Emmys.
0: All right. Uh, and let me go now into two, Rob, that probably made me the happiest. These two, because both of them, I was completely not expecting them to win, but I am so glad they they did. Best Supporting Actress in a Limited Series or Movie. Of course, we already saw um, it won for Best Lead Actress with Kate Winslet. But Rob, after you and I watched *Mayor of Easttown, I remember you and I had a conversation where I said, Julianne Nicholson, who plays Mayor's best friend in the show, Laurie, or Lore, I said, she's not going to get any attention for this role. She's not going to get any notoriety for it. But I said, Rob, I'm telling you, if it was up to me, she would win Best Supporting Actress. Because to me, she was like, I mean, obviously, Kate Winslet steals, steals it as her show, but she nearly steals every scene she's in. I didn't even think she would get nominated, and damn it, Julianne Nicholson won for mayor of Easttown, and I could not be more pleased for her. Jean Smart, who plays uh, mayor's mom in it, also was great. Catherine Hahn, who was great in WandaVision, that would have been great too. But, I, but Julianne uh, Nicholson... Winning for Mayor of Easttown, I couldn't be more thrilled. This is something I had been rooting for for months, ever since I saw the show. Very, very pleasant surprise for me that she actually took this home. You called it. She, oh, I'm so glad she won too, because she is of um, her and Kate Winslet, and when they're on screen together, and Rob, the we won't spoil anything, but the final scene of Mayor of Easttown with the two of them in the kitchen. It's like this is like their chemistry was fantastic. The performances were next level. Super super happy. What do you think about her winning that?
1: Well, I mean, it, to me, I, you know, you were saying that kind of stuff months ago. But again, you know, a, a great performance that's recognized, and it's not necessarily a big name. And it just seems like the work is getting is getting no, noticed. And I I I think that the yeah I, I it's great that she won. And um, you, how can you complain about it?
0: And that will take us into what to me was my other super big, happy, pleasant, surprised. Uh, best supporting actor in a comedy series. Rob, you know, Jason Sudakis won for Ted Lasso. Ted Lasso won a whole ton of things, well-deserved, all that kind of stuff. I was super happy when I saw that Brett Goldstein was nominated for it. He, of course, plays Roy Kent in Ted Lasso. And he won. And I will tell you why I'm so freaking excited about this. I have a couple of guys who I don't think, whatever. There's a couple of characters that are like my favorite characters on TV, right? Like Lucifer Morningstar is my favorite character on television right now. But one of my other favorite characters on television is Roy Kent. Oi! Roy Kent. I... You used to kick the ball like you caught it fucking your wife. I mean, it is, he is so good every second that Roy Kent is on screen. Every second this character is on screen, I am just laughing my ass off. This still image of him perfectly embodies the character. I love everything about this character. I didn't think he would actually win it. I'm so glad he did. Um, so once again, uh, Brett Goldstein wins uh, for that. Rob, your thoughts on uh, on Roy Kent <laughs> taking home Best Supporting Actor in the I, Comedy I mean, Series? You know,
1: I, I, again, I have to say uh, uh, another great performance is recognized. Uh, so there, I've no, no complaints there. I can't sit there and go, why? Did he, why, why? No, because it's great.
0: There's a great scene in this season, Rob, where. Um, Jamie Tart, Jamie Tart, ta, dot ta, ta, anyway where yeah. Jamie Tart has this awful, terrible confrontation with his asshole father in the locker room. And, you know, obviously Roy doesn't like Jamie in the show and blah blah. But after the dad leaves and everybody's awkwardly silent in the in the locker room, Roy just silently marches over to Jamie and hugs him. And to me, I'm getting emotional just thinking about it. It's one of the most beautiful moments I've ever seen on television. <laughs> like it, it was just, it's, it's incredible. The way he can play that character is amazing. I love it. Anyway, guys, uh, there's all the main rundown of the Emmys. Of course, the biggest night in television and all that kind of stuff. And Rob, you and I were also talking before the show. It's like every single winner, none of them were from network television. No, none of them. Uh, uh other than, you know, the one like best variety special, uh, you know, things like that best late nights, uh, not best, but best variety special, which was uh Colbert, which was a network thing. But everything was from a streaming service. All of them. Whether it was Netflix, Apple TV+, HBO. I mean, they just really swept them up. And it's, it's been heading that way for a couple of years. It's going to be interesting to see if that trend switches back to network at some point. But I thought that was really interesting. Any, anyway, guys, we spent a lot of time on this. Question is... What do you think about the results of the Emmys? I, I Like I said, some big surprises to me, but at the same time, pleasant surprises. I really thought, while not every single one was necessarily the one I would pick, I thought they did a tremendous job picking the right winners. These are all very, very well-deserving winners. I loved what I saw. What did you guys think about it? Jump down into the comments section below and let us know your thoughts. All right, guys. With that down... Let's now move into our main topics here today. And how do we select our main topics here today? Well, it's really rather simple. You see, you guys come up with our main topics. Whenever you come across a big topic issue or story that you feel we need to have as a main topic here on the show, just go anytime 24-7 over to com slash contact. Once you guys get there, you're going to see a form. Fill it out with your topic or question. It's absolutely free. Hit submit, and then maybe, just maybe, you might see your submission featured as a main topic here on the John Campia show. And by the way, our friend, uh minute man, Sam sends in a super chat badge in the live chat. Thank you so much about that, man. I really appreciate it. All right, with that down, let's move into main topic. Number one. And our first main topic today gets submitted to us by Ali Hamza, who writes, Hey, John, so the new Guillermo del Toro movie, Nightmare Alley, has put out its teaser trailer, with this being his follow-up to his Oscar-winning film, The Shape of Water, which was fantastic. Uh, what, did, what did you think of the trailer, and does this make you more excited for the film? All right. Thanks a lot for sending that in, man. And yeah, listen, I remember I was unaware that a trailer was even ready to drop for Nightmare Alley. I, I wasn't even aware that a trailer was ready to drop. And so it was kind of came out of nowhere when I saw it that the first trailer dropped and I jumped over to check it out. Now, one of the first big things that's got to stand out to you about, you know, the trailer for this is the incredible cast. The incredible cast of this thing. And of course, what actors today, Rob, are not lining up to work with Guillermo del Toro? <laughs> I mean, they're all lining up. But look at this cast. Bradley Cooper, Kate Blanchett, Willem Dafoe, Tony Collette, Richard Jenkins, Ron Perlman, Rooney Mara, and on and on and on. There's even more than this, but you just look at this lineup, which is incredible and exciting. The whole period of it, the whole idea behind it looks great. The trailer hits, doesn't give a whole ton of way about the story. Again, first trailer, I expect more of that in the second trailer. But Rob, listen, you just say the new film by Guillermo del Toro. Almost all of us, you've got our interest. I thought this was a well-made trailer. It, it certainly heightened my curiosity about the film. I think if that's one thing you can say. It heightened my curiosity about the film. I liked what I saw. Rob, you had a chance to see the trailer for Nightmare Alley. What did you think of it?
1: Well, you know, it's it, it, this has been, a, the original came out in 1947, and Guillermo del Toro is a huge fan of it. And it looks to me like, you know how we always talk about the fly being a great remake, and yeah. John Carpenter's the thing. This looks like one of those things. I mean, Guillermo del Toro is a filmmaker uh, of extraordinarily gifted vision, and I just watched the trailer. I mean, I know about the story. I, I think this movie is going to be bonkers in the best way. Uh, I think Bradley Cooper is playing a con artist. If it goes the way of the original film, it's going to get a little twisted. And I, I, it, it just looks beautiful. Like, how do you, how do you look at that trailer and not want to see it? I can't wait.
0: Question is for you guys. Did you guys have a chance to see the trailer for Nightmare Alley? We, the new one coming from Guillermo del Toro. We love the looks of it. What did you guys feel about it? Whatever your thoughts are, jump on down in the comment section below and leave your thoughts there. All right, guys. With that down, let's move on to main topic number two. And our second main topic today gets submitted to us by... Uh, Chris C.S.H., who writes, Hey, John, been a viewer for over 11 years and a Patreon supporter as well. Well, thank you so much, Chris, for being around for that long and for being a Patreon supporter of the show. We appreciate that, dude. I am a huge Lord of the Rings fan. So you can imagine that my most anticipated show is the Lord of the Rings Amazon series. It has just been reported from Deadline that music composer composer Howard Shore is in talks to score the new series. What's your thoughts on this? One of my favorite things about the Lord of the Rings films is the amazing score he composed, and I would love to hear what he can come up with for the new series. All right, thanks a lot for sending that in, man. Appreciate that. And yeah, listen, obviously one of the projects... That has really been dominating, the you know the chat space, for the last while is the upcoming Amazon series Lord of the Rings, right? Which Lord of the Rings isn't the official title. We don't have an official title yet, but an official title is coming. And we've been talking about a lot about the price tag: four hundred. What is it? Four hundred and thirty-six million dollars for season one. Um, and they have finished shooting season one for $436 million. And that comes out in September of 2022. And they're going to get ready. They're already getting ready to shoot season two. So it's already been picked up for multiple seasons. Rob, when you look back at the Lord of the Rings movie series, you cannot think of any scene in that movies, in any of those movies, without hearing the music to the movie in your head. I remember, Rob, going in to watch Lord of the Rings, The Fellowship of the Ring for the first time just that music that would play as gandalf rides into the shire oh yeah do 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 like or when the music that plays when you go to mordor or the the music that plays in the battle of helms deep or the character music for all the individual character scores. The music of the Lord of the Rings is such a part of the fabric of our experience of those movies that the music is just forever intertwined with the films in and of themselves. Some of the greatest movies ever made of all time. And of course, composed by the great good Canadian kid. I should point out, Rob Howard Shore. And when you look at his resume, now look, is he John Williams? No, he doesn't have the resume of John Williams, but my goodness, when you look at the resume of Howard Shore, and you think about the music that plays in these m- m- movies, Hugo music was such a huge part of that. The music in Eastern Promises, uh, Oscar-winning, you know, The Departed, Seven, Philadelphia, The Game, Spotlight, of course, The Lord of the Rings and the Hobbit stuff that he did as well. The music of Howard Shore, Howard Shore is an Academy Award multiple Academy Award winner for music composition. The idea of him coming in. To do the music for the Amazon version of this, I think is tremendously exciting. This comes to us from the folks over at, uh, uh, over at Variety who writes, Howard Shore whose work on the Middle-earth trilogy won him 3 Oscars is in talks to compose the music for the TV series. This is an important development for a series that carries a reported cost of 465 million. I think I said 436. 465 million dollars for its first season, making it the most expensive TV series of all time. So far, uh, untitled series. The untitled series, based on J.R. Tolkien's classic novels, recently wrapped principal photography on season one and is scheduled to premiere on Prime Video on September second. Again, Rob, to me, I can't think of a piece of news. But honest, honestly, I'm not being facetious here. This excites me more than if I heard Ian McKellen was coming back to play Gandalf. <laughs> and, and I, you, everybody knows how awesome Ian McKen- the music of Howard Shore being a part of this show will make to me, makes me believe it'll feel like coming home. It'll feel so comfortable. It'll feel so right to have that in there. And again, they're just saying he's in talks, but once you hit the point, Rob, of being in talks, that means the studio has said, we would like you to do it. And he's him saying, I would like to do it. Now they're working out the details. Rob, I think this is tremendously exciting news. You hear about Shore possibly coming back to compose the music for the Lord of the Rings Amazon series. How do you feel about it?
1: Well, you know, I would even go back further than the movies you mentioned. Howard Shore collaborated with uh, David Cronenberg in a lot of his early films, like even back to Videodrome and The Brood and things like that, all the way back to the late 70s and early 80s. I've always been a huge Howard Shore fan, but I mean, like you said, John, the music for the Lord of the Rings trilogy is uh, i i mean even like when you get into rivendell and the oh, ethereal yeah. music uh, I, it's just so you know he, he's like the only composer for this and it's a, i think it's an incredibly smart move it'll give the series some cohesion with the films um and i think that's what they're going for i mean obviously i think it's a smart move to set this series in the second age so it would end with the battle we saw at the beginning of fellowship of the ring that that's what they're leading to is the first war of the ring and having howard shore's music it's 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 a great way to go so it's interesting too john because you know they've been shooting the movie or the series for a long time so i'm sure they have the they've they've got edits cuts of these episodes but they haven't had a composer so it's going to be really interesting to see what he does and the themes that he's going to come up with. Because I'm sure he's going to come up with new themes because I, we're not going to be in the Shire. And so I can't wait to hear what he's going to come up with, man. It's going to be great.
0: It will be great. Question is for you guys. What do you think about the notion of Howard Shore coming back, the guy who did the music, the Oscar award-winning music for the Lord of the Rings films, coming back in possibly to do the music for the Amazon series? I think this is a very significant development. What do you guys feel about this? Jump on down to the comment section below and leave your thoughts there. Okay, guys. With that down, let's move into main topic number three. And our third main topic today gets submitted to us by David H. And David H. writes, Hey, John. So recently on Twitter, Tom Hardy posted a pic of himself wearing a production hat from No Way Home, leading many to speculate that Venom is in the movie. Is there anything to this picture or just fans jumping to conclusions again? Thanks. All right. Thanks a lot for sending that in, man. Now, look, one of the big topics of conversation over the last number of days, has obviously been a lot about Venom and a lot about Spider-Man No Way Home, for obvious reasons. Venom just had its big first public screening. The responses to it have been overwhelmingly positive. I have not seen it yet myself, so we'll have to wait and see, although I am a big fan of the first Venom film, and I'm very excited to see what Andy Serkis is going to do with the second one. We're hearing great things. Also, Rob... Last week, one of the the final main topics we had of the week last week was discussing the fact that Andy Serkis was asked if he ever believes that we're going to see Venom and Spider-Man on screen together, to which he said, obviously that's eventually going to happen. And then we speculated, okay, I mean, obviously we all know that eventually that'll happen, but is he saying it could happen sooner rather than later? Is he saying it could happen now or maybe in three years? Or what's he saying? A lot of speculation about that. In the midst of all of this, uh, something happened. This comes to us from the folks over at movie web who write the following adding weight to this idea. It seems the image now, of course there's an image that went on on social media with Tom Hardy wearing a Spider-Man no way home production team hat. This isn't a random hat. This is the same hat. The people in the production of Spider-Man no way home were wearing. Anyway, adding to the weight to this idea, it seems the image was first shared by TV director, Lynn, Lynn Oding and has since been removed suggesting that the hat wearing of Tom Hardy does indeed contain potential spoilers. Of course, and I'm glad they wrote this, it is equally possible that the hat was simply a gift from the production team given to Hardy due to his involvement with the Marvel world through his role as Venom. Whatever the case may be, it's sure to have fans even more excited to see what Spider-Man No Way Home has in store. That, again, comes to us from the folks over at MovieWeb. And by the way, our friend Mal3D sends in a Super Chat badge in the live chat. Thank you, Mal3D. All right, look. Normally, you know me. John, did you sing in whatever? There's a picture of Angelina Jolie wearing a ring on her left finger, and we all know that Storm is left-handed. Confirmation, Angelina Jolie's going to play Storm. Like, it, it, Normally, I find all this stuff completely ridiculous. I normally find all this stuff completely ridiculous. So, why is this situation different? The situation is a little bit different for a couple of reasons. One, there is a lot of chat lately about obviously we just talked about Andy Serkis coming out and saying, oh, you're going to see Venom and Spider-Man together. He doesn't say when or how long from now. but So that's a big thing about it. There's a lot of buzzing going on with Venom right now. A lot of talking about the multiversal level of that. Rob, you and I have speculated and talked about the chances, the good chances, the bad chances of you know maybe seeing a Tom Hardy or something like that in a Spider-Man movie, maybe seeing Spider-Man in a Venom movie, all that. We've been talking about that for years. I just found it very interesting that on the heels of all this talk, particularly by Andy Circus, and again, let's take a look at this image in question. This is the image that I got put up on social media, and again, it is the production hat. It is the production hat of the movie. Now, something that I would I do want to point out, though, before anybody gets too terribly carried away about this, all right? Besides the hat, what else is he wearing? He's wearing a Cobra Kai T-shirt. Are we about to jump up and down to say, confirmed, Tom Hardy. He's going to be Sensei Kreese's long lost little brother who's going to come back and he's going to be in Karate Kid season, whatever Karate Kid or Cobra Kai is going into. I don't even know. I don't care. Obviously, now obviously the situation's different. There are connections between Tom Hardy and these productions. And it's interesting to note that they had the image pulled down. It's interesting to note (laughs) that they had the image pulled down. Now look, Am I sitting here right now, Rob, on Monday, September the 20th, 2021, and telling you that Tom Hardy is going to appear in Spider-Man No Way Home? No, I'm not saying that in the least. But am I saying this is the craziest thing ever, especially when you consider all the other circumstances surrounding it? I'm going to tell you right now, Rob, I do not think this is the craziest thing in the world. I, 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 I'm not saying that he's going to be in it, don't get me wrong, but... When you look at all the other circumstances, when you look at the but the buzz coming out of Venom, and you listen to the comments by Andy Circus, when you understand that, you know, this is a production hat of the movie, when you understand they then the image was then removed and all this kind of stuff. All I am saying is it is not the craziest thing in the world if you were to believe that Tom Hardy was going to appear as Eddie Brock in Spider-Man No Way Home. I'm not saying take your money and go and bet on it. I'm not saying that at all. But it's got to be considered possible, don't you? I don't know, Rob. You see all this. What do you make of this? Well,
1: it's it's interesting because here everyone's speculating whether or not Andrew Garfield or Tobey Maguire is in Spider-Man No Way Home. But we're not thinking about the fact that Venom could very well be in this movie because they're making Venom movies. And, you know, if you believe some of the things that have come out of early screenings of Venom, Let There Be Carnage. I think there's good reason to believe that Venom could be in Spider-Man No Way Home in some way, shape or form, um, even if it's in a post-credit or teasing manner. I, I As a matter of fact, I'm going to go 50% over, over 50% chance over that 50. Venom, over 50% chance we're going to see Venom or even Carnage referenced in Spider-Man No Way Home. If they're not in it all, if they're not in it, absolutely in it there's going to be something, something to do with it because they're John, they are, they are priming that pump. And, and the next Spider-Man movie is going to be, I guess, fully on Sony's turf. And they've been, they've been after two movies. Where do you go from carnage? You go to Spider-Man.
0: All right. So let's play hypothetical for a second here. Let, 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 pure, pure wild pulled out of our asses, wild hypothetical, just pure speculation zone for a second. Okay. It's interesting if that's the way they go. It's interesting if that's the way they go. Because that in and of itself would raise several questions. Right? It raises several questions. Because I, Rob, I don't think you or I think that the Sony Marvel deal is long for this world. Like, I don't think either or you or I think there's the Sony Marvel deal is going to be re-upped for another 10 years. Right? I mean, it's possible. It's totally possible. They've re-upped it before. They can re up it again. I don't think that's what they're going to do. So if, and again, pure pulling it out of our ass of speculation. If Tom Hardy appears in Spider-Man No Way Home, it raises the question, what are they doing? And I wonder if they might be setting up a big grand exodus of Tom Hardy, uh, to, uh, sorry, I should say Tom Holland to Tom H's. Tom Holland, Spider-Man out of the MCU. That it could be all part to make this big event in the MCU. That then, you know, with Doctor Strange, the Multiverse of Madness, them shutting down Multiverse or whatever, it could just be setting the stage for the exit of Spider-Man, Vellum, and all these characters into their own, back to the Sony and their own separate universe and stuff like that. That's just one thought. There are a lot of other possibilities as well. Rob, let's say, let's say again, wild speculation, not based on anything. Let's assume for a second that Tom Hardy is popping up in Spider-Man: No Way Home as Eddie Brock. What's the end game? What 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 is? What's the point of? What do you think they're building towards or building away from? What do you think the goal of that is?
1: Well, I I I think they they look. Venom was hugely successful. I think more successful than they might have thought. It was as successful as many Marvel movies, if not more. They've got another movie coming out with Carnage, and if you're going to make, I mean. Uh, that in itself was a, a genius move. Cause what do you do with the first venom you build to carnage? And then the, the question would obviously in everyone's mind is, well, what are you going to do for a third movie? What other, what other person in the venom pantheon would, would, would outdo carnage? It's gotta be Spider-Man. And, and you've got a Spider-Man movie that is being released in pretty close proximity with the latest venom film And so from a marketing standpoint, you know, your carnage will just let there be carnage will just be out of theaters. And then we get a then we get hit with the Spider-Man movie. What's not to love or why wouldn't you do that? And I think that's what they're building to when Sony takes back Spider-Man. I mean, we get what an appearance after this, but a full blown Spider-Man movie back at Sony that's going to include probably both Venom and Carnage. I can't think of a more what more would you want to see? I mean that's that's it's I, to me it's like a no brainer it's building it's building to a frothy between whatever happens in Let There Be Carnage and then whatever happens in No Way Home I mean I think they're priming the pump we're going to be dying to see whatever happens between Spider-Man and Venom to take place. We, I mean I, I I I can't imagine it's it'd be like all all the bases are loaded and your best hitter comes up to the plate to knock it home. I mean, that's what they're doing and they're, they're coordinating it. Marvel and Sony are coordinating this beautifully. And I, I, I think it's, I mean, for us as fans, John, come
0: on, we're going to love it. It's gonna be great. It's, it's going to be. And of course, look, we, we should also put out there. I mean, you love Venom. I do. I love the first Venom. I I was, I loved it way more than I thought I was going to, I had such a fun time in the movie theaters, watching the first Venom. I was—I remember Ray, Ray went with me. My brother-in-law, Ray, who does the graphics for the show. Remember, he went with me and it's very difficult to get Ray out to the movie theaters because he's very much a homebody and doesn't... It's like, whenever, whenever we ask Ray if he wants to go to a movie, he the first question he always asks, how long is it? And if it's like over 100 minutes, he's like, nah, man. If, if any movie's like over 100 minutes, he doesn't want to go to the movies. <laughs> but I remember he went with me to go see Venom and I just remember after the movie was done, we were just like, I... I had way more fun with that movie than I ever thought I was going to have with this movie, like (laughs) way more fun. And so I'm excited to see where they go. we should point out though, Rob, that of course this all very well could be idle speculation about nothing. I mean, it's very, very, very possible. Maybe even the word likely should be used that, you know, he's not going to be in spider way, no way home. And this is just all of us running away with our fandom chat as we, as fans tend to do. But, uh, it raises some interesting possibilities. The question is for you guys. What do you think about that? Tom Hardy had a picture post on social media of him wearing a Spider-Man No Way Home production hat hot on the heels of Andy Serkis talking about Venom and Spider-Man maybe being together, and then that picture gets removed. Much ado about nothing? Probably. Could it mean something? Maybe. What do you guys think? Jump on down into the comments section below and let us know your thoughts. Okay, guys, with that down, let's now move on and take your live comments and questions today. Once again, if you want to send in a live comment or question to be read on the show or an upcoming companion video, just hop on down into, this, into the description of this video and click on the tip link, or you could enter it in manually at www.streamalmas.com slash Slash tip. Once again, you'll be getting your comment or question right on the show. If of course it's appropriate for the show. And of course you'll be supporting the channel at the same time. And all of us involved with the John Campy show. Thank you guys so very much for your support. And by the way, our friend, Mr. Wolfgang sends in a super chat badge in the live chat. Thank you, Mr. Wolfgang. Appreciate that dude. All right, let's now move on and start taking your questions here. Shall we? And we're going to get things started off here with, um, uh, Zimzalab, who writes, Hey, John, are you excited for that tragedy of Macbeth with the goats, Francis McDormand and Denzel Washington? I don't know for me because, man, black and white movies are a struggle, golly. Uh, Yeah, for those of you who don't know, Denzel Washington and uh, Francis McDormand, and by the way, Brennan Gleason, who played uh, Hamish in um, Braveheart, and he was also in Paddington and he was in Imbruges so with Colin Farrell. Rob Brennan Gleason is like one of the best in the world. I, I love this guy on screen. Me too. He's fantastic. But they're doing this Macbeth, the tragedy of Macbeth. And by the way, it's being directed by one of the Cohen brothers. It's being directed by Joel Cohen. Um, you put two of the GOATs in Denzel, Francis, being directed by, by a Cohen brother, and it's Shakespeare. Who, if, look, I don't know that you have a pulse as a movie fan. If this doesn't at the very least intrigue you, what do you think about this?
1: I'm intrigued. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, again, what uh, what is not to like? You know, we're getting, I, it seems like the people that are behind so many of the entertainments that we're getting lately, with a few exceptions, are really giving us great stuff. And there's great talent and decisions being made. So I'm excited.
0: It's going to be great. It'll be great. All right. Next up, BK Dan writes, John got to chime in in formula for why the MCU does better than the DCU box office. Uh, formula equals Feige. I say that. I say that. I say that that way because Feige's overarching arc is why, in my opinion, MCU does better. I disagree completely. It, it's not about formula. It's not about overreaching arc. It's about they make movies that people enjoy more. It's just that simple. It's not about formula. It's not about this. Now, do all these other things contribute? Sure. But at the end of the day, Kevin Feige can have whatever uh, overarching storylines he wants to have that connects the different movies. That's great. If people don't genuinely love the movies and if it's not received well by critics and audiences and all that kind of stuff, your overarching plan doesn't mean shit. It doesn't mean shit. ain't going to be successful. It's all about making movies that people love and enjoy. That's what it's all about. Nothing else matters. That's right. You can have no connecting story for your cinematic universe. If each individual movie delights the audiences and delights critics and all that kind of stuff, you're going to have a a successful franchise. If you don't, you can have the best 20-movie plan. You can have the greatest 20-movie plan in the world. But if the individual films are not beloved and embraced by the audience, that formula doesn't mean crap. Means nothing. See, Rob, Kevin Feige is great and he's had success because, yes, he has great long-term plans. But more importantly, he is a great producer who knows how to make, give full attention to each individual film. He never loses sight of the individual film and he never lets, lets. the grand story take precedent over making sure the individual film is a great audience critic enjoyed film. And that's the bottom line to me. I don't know, Rob, how would you, what would you comment to that?
1: I mean, it's the same thing. I mean, it, 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 that is, that is the, that is the single purpose, you know, uh, nothing matters. The films, that's it. That's all the experience, the movies, that's it. That's all that matters.
0: Yep. I uh, agree.
1: I mean, you what, what are your, what else is there, man? You know. What, by the way, Har-
0: Harvey King in the live chat just, just threw in something that's an excellent, excellent example, saying Universal had a plan with the Tom Cruise MonsterVerse. I mean, yeah, they may have had a brilliant seven yep. film arc story idea tying together all these classic monsters, but guess what? They put out the first Mummy with Tom Cruise, which I, by the way, did not dislike as most people did. I didn't think it was, I did not think it was great, but I didn't dislike it as much as most people did. But still, They put out that movie and the movie didn't work. So it doesn't matter what your long-term plan is if the individual movies don't work. So that's a good thing to bring up there, Harvey. All right. Uh, Next up, uh, BK Dan. Oh, sorry. Dangerous D writes, I should say, um, Arthur, everyone who drinks is... Oh, you're talking about the movie, Arthur. Uh, Everyone who drinks is not a poet. Some of us drinks because we're not poets. Susan, a real woman could stop you from drinking. Arthur, she had to be a real big woman. (laughs) Susan, Arthur, take my hand. Arthur, that would only leave you with one. Dudley Moore as Arthur. You know, Rob, that was one of the first grown-up movies that my parents let me watch when I was a kid. And I think I first saw it... On like back in the day of pay TV channels. And in Canada, we had like first choice. There were two pay TV movie channels, first choice and super channel. I think it was called anyway. And I think I watched uh, Arthur on one of those, like, because it had been in theaters already years earlier, oh, but John. Dudley Moore Arthur. What do you think about him?
1: One of my favorite comedies of all time. I saw that movie when I was a kid, it came out, I think in 81. And I saw it in the theater four times which is unheard of. I, I've never seen a comedy more than once. And I, you know, uh, uh, I'll, I think I'll have a bath. I'll alert the media. <laughs> I mean, that's just, John Gielgud in that movie uh, is so, it, it's just so great. And the the lines, like you said, those 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 exchanges with Arthur and uh, all the characters. I mean, I love the beginning when he, he's like, are you a hooker? I just thought I was doing really great with you.
0: (laughs) I'm not going to name names. You just reminded me of something. I am not going to name names. Okay. I am not. But that line, your hooker, I just thought I was doing great with you. I was in Vegas one time (laughs) with someone y'all know. That's all I'm going to say. And it's not Robert Meyer Burnett. I was in Vegas with somebody y'all know, okay? That's all I'm going to say is that somebody that you all know. And I'm sitting down at the poker table playing poker. And uh, my my buddy comes up and we're, we're talking for a bit. And then as I'm playing poker, because this is in the casino, right? I look over and I see this friend of mine talking up a, a very pretty girl, right? And I keep over, look, looking over and he's like, been talking to this girl for like 15, 20 minutes. I'm like, all right, he's doing pretty good. A little while <laughs> later, he comes back over and I'm like, hey, and I'm, I'm, I get up from the poker table taking a break. I'm like, hey, so I, I saw you chatting with that really good looking woman. And it's like, I, what's going on out there? He goes, yeah, it was great. Turns out she's a prostitute. <laughs> and uh <laughs> I just not that there's anything wrong with it. I'm just saying it was like one of those things where I just thought it was doing really good. I thought I was just being really smooth. And then price tag came up. So yeah, I and again, I am not gonna say who it was. I'm just saying it's someone y'all know. And I'm just gonna leave it at that. Uh anyway, okay, sorry. Let's, sorry, you just you brought that up. That just reminded me of that story. I just thought I was doing really good. <laughs> All right. Uh, let's move on here. Next up. Uh, uh, BK Dan writes, John, just watch Campy After Dark on September 16th, and here's my contribution for dancers for your show. Well, I don't know if you heard, but I I, I did my, my live companion videos. I now call After Dark, and I have this big, dark background, and we joked around, and I'm going to try to do it. I said, well, I'm going to do one episode of After Dark where I actually have two like go-go dancers dancing in the background during the entirety of the show. <laughs> like not strippers, right? just go-go dancers dancing in the background to really complete the after-dark aesthetic. We'll see how that goes. I haven't had any luck finding them yet. All right, uh, Yumi writes... I just had my first class of the new semester, passed the cinema on my way home from from university, and there it was, an afternoon screening of Dune. I couldn't resist. Movie's about to start. Thank you for hyping me up. I cannot wait for your out-of-cinema reaction, and, dude, I cannot wait to give you my out-of-cinema reaction. Stupid comments from Denis Villeneuve, notwithstanding. The dude is an incredible filmmaker. I cannot wait to see Dune. Still my number one most anticipated film. I hope you liked it, man. All right, Steve Cunnan writes, Greetings from the Netherlands. I saw Dune yesterday. Pros: scope, acting, gorgeous visuals, and an amazing score. Cons: it's very much half of a story. Now I now I get why Denis Villeneuve's. Now I get Denis Villeneuve's comments. Even if we get part two, we won't see it until 2023 or 2024. God, I hope so. Bring on the filthy. Yeah, I mean, Rob, that is one of the we were talking before about the pros and the cons because Denis Villeneuve was saying he wanted to shoot. He was his plan was to shoot Dune both parts back to back and then the studio shot it down and, and we understood why it's a huge monetary investment. You don't know how the audience is going to respond to the first one or not. I mean, I get mm-hmm. it, but that is one of the drawbacks because it will very much feel like half a movie when we see it. And because they didn't shoot it back to back, it means a minimum, minimum, two years, probably three year wait until we get part two in the cinema again, even if it gets made. What do you think about that? Uh,
1: I, well, look, I mean, obviously I think that's one of the criticisms after the screenings that I've read or people that have seen it, they've said, look, it's half a movie. And it, where it ends is not necessarily (laughs) Dune doesn't really have a middle point where you can lead off with some kind of, or end with a cliffhanger. So um i think that's going to be one of the big drawbacks but like you said we don't even know if they're going to be able to make another movie and i think it would be a damn shame if dune if they don't get to make the next part and you've got the benny Jesuit sisterhood tv series they they want to make as well I, look i i love dune i love the book i want them to be able to make i i heard originally they were, they were going to make three movies they're going to make dune Dune Prophet and then Dune Messiah, which is of course the second Dune book that right. rounds out Paul Atreides' story, and I would love to see that happen because it's it's a it's a pretty incredible story. It's to Paul and what happens to the galaxy, and it ain't it ain't pretty, but I really want to see it. And um, I, look again, it, it's it's how is the movie doing? You know, right. as a matter of fact, I didn't even check John in Box Office Mojo. How did it do over the weekend that it's open in Europe?
0: I heard um, it's doing pretty well. I, I heard it's doing actually all right.
1: Yeah, I mean, I'm just I'm looking it up right now. So far, okay, Dune worldwide has made thirty six million dollars.
0: That's not bad yep. considering it's only opened in a handful of uh, uh, yep. a handful of uh, those, uh, those. Yeah, territories. it's not
1: opened. It, it it's 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 actually did really really well in Russia. Made seven million dollars in Russia. So really? and it also made, yeah, it also made seven, 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 7 000, and it made seven million five hundred thousand in France. So these numbers, it's putting up big numbers in Europe. So that's, that bodes well. I mean, I think that was a really smart strategy because by the time it makes it to America, day and date with HBO Max, it's going to, it doesn't open here till the 22nd. So it's going to be playing for over a month in foreign territories and it'll probably end up doing quite well.
0: Well, and you and I have been saying for a while, their strategy of opening it in Europe was probably to generate a lot of online positive word of mouth. And it seems they're getting it. So we'll see if it works. We'll see if it works when it hits North America. All right. Next up. We got Adam Smith who writes, I recently watched a little presentation at my local science museum. I thought it was really well done and specifically the narrator was great. When the credits rolled, I was surprised to see that it was voiced by Andy Serkis. Is this common for actors to do? Yes, it is absolutely common. A lot of actors will absolutely do narration stuff on documentary projects and things like that because it's easy money. It's easy money. You literally show up one or two days into a sound booth, read you know read the dialogue and the script into a into a microphone, and then you get to leave. I mean, it's it's easy money. I mean, it's one of the reasons why you see like what is it Ford or Toyota commercials or whatever that John Cena narrates. You don't even see John Cena; he's just <laughs> narrating them for heaven's sakes. So yes, this is very very common. Of course, one of the most popular is Morgan Freeman with March of the Penguins. Which is amazing, by the way, if you haven't seen that. Uh, By the way, our friend Mr. Wolfgang uh, and Rick Stain send in Super Chat badges in the live chat. Thank you guys very much for supporting us in that. I appreciate that, dude. All right, let's move on here. Where are we at now? We are now at, um, that was Adam Smith that we just read. Okay, next up is Ryan Loner who writes, a Norm Macdonald line that is, is especially fitting now. This is one that's been quoted a lot lately is I'm no kind of medical person, but I'm pretty sure that every time somebody dies of cancer, the t- cancer dies too. That's not a loss. It's a draw. I love that line. You know, after of course, uh, Norm Macdonald passed away last week. It's been, I've, I've, a lot of people have been re-quoting that line. You know, the cancer dies too. It's not a loss. It's a draw. Norm Macdonald battled cancer to a draw. Uh, and I really, really do like that line. Thanks for bringing it up, Ryan. Next up, uh, Milo writes, one of two, I rewatched the Thor trilogy over the weekend. I love the first movie, love Ragnarok 2, but unfortunately it lacked the Norse Viking vibe that I enjoyed from the first two movies. I'm very excited for Thor 4, but I'm worried about Jane as Thor. Uh, Thor is Thor. Being able to lift Mjolnir can give you some lightning ability similar to Thor, uh, like Cap and Endgame, but you don't become Thor. That being said, we don't know the story yet, and I have faith in Taika. Now listen, I'm I'm of the same Rob, you know I'm the same mindset, right? Like, I don't like it's it's great. If if Bucky picks up the shield, great. If Sam picks up the shield, great. Neither of them are Captain America. They can call themselves Captain America, but Steve Rogers is Captain America, is Steve Rogers is Captain America. You know, I, I I just think they should have different unique names. Uh, Jane can pick up Mjolnir, get on a lot of powers, but she shouldn't become Thor. But it should be noted, this is all, especially the stuff with Jane, this is all rooted in the comic books, as is the stuff with Sam uh, and, and Captain America. So it is all rooted there. But I agree, somebody doesn't become somebody else just because they wear the same costume that somebody else wore. Um, but I, I don't know. Rob, he raises an interesting point. That's something I don't really thought of. As much as I love Thor Ragnarok, and I love Thor Ragnarok, it does have a little bit of a missing of that, that Norwegian, that Viking element. Uh, that feel of the Vikings that you actually do get from the first Thor a lot. A lot had that has to do with Kenneth Branagh. And it doesn't in What do you think we're going to see in Thor 4? In, in, in Thor Love and Thunder? Do you think they'll go back to that a little bit, especially with the God Butcher coming in? Or do you think they'll just continue on its own thing kind of like Ragnarok did?
1: I think it's going to continue on its own thing. I, I mean, I think whatever it's going to be, it's going to be bonkers and hilarious and wildly entertaining. Um, but yeah, I, I think that I think the threat, I mean bringing in the god butcher, I, I can only imagine that he's going after well gods, you know, and that's the threat. I mean and that the threat is real and it's extreme especially in the wake of the destruction of Asgard. Um I I think that it's it's but it is I think it's very much going to be a follow up to Ragnarok as opposed to say the original Thor. And I agree. um yeah and I think it, it I dude I I can't wait for Thor love and thunder Especially I can't with Christian
0: Bale playing gore I, I know right
1: like I don't you know, like uh, you, you like you think like what's not to love about that <laughs> right yeah. I I have to say because Taika Waititi is is look a singular a singular filmmaker and and every one of his works I mean look he's coming off of um uh uh you know Jojo Rabbit and, yeah. and uh, Ragnarok, and he may he made the film that we haven't seen yet about the soccer player. The Next, soccer I think it's team. called
0: Next Goal Wins.
1: Next Goal Wins. Yeah, I mean, I I I just think we're watching the evolution of somebody who's going to be a filmmaker that we're going to be watching for decades to come, and I I think it's going to be great fun. Already so. an
0: Academy Award winning. By the way, guys, if you have not seen Taika Waititi's Jojo Rabbit, watch it. It's absolutely brilliant. And all I will say is the shoe scene the shoe scene uh all right next up uh Brian O'Connor writes dead serious question what would happen if Dominic Toretto killed John Wick's dog and John killed Dominic's family now this is a versus I would like to see well again like all these other things I think it would be all about who produced it and wrote it if Vin Diesel and his writers are writing it Dominic Toretto wins easily if uh, the John Wick people write it, John Wick wins easily. So there you go. That's how it would turn out, Brian. All right, next up. Peter uh, Pablo Reviews writes, why did the latest What If episode make Tony Stark look like Johnny Drama for Entourage? I kid you not, my wife Ann said the same thing. Did you see the latest What If with uh, What If Killmonger Saved Tony Stark?
1: Did you uh, see I have that not one? watched that one yet. I've, uh, I'm only up to zombies.
0: The way Tony Stark is drawn... He looks like Johnny Drama from Entourage. He totally does look like that. I'm glad. I'm glad you noticed that, Peter, because my my wife and pointed that out too. So I'm glad you brought that up. All right. Uh, by the way, not a very good episode. Not a very good episode. But anyway, whatever. Uh, Jack Human Rights. Uh, hey, John, you have my money. Now, please cast the entire MCU X-Men. Even better if you do the Brotherhood. Just kidding, man. Love the show. Longtime fan. Thanks for doing what you do and bring on that after dark filthy. Oh, thank you so much, Jack. I appreciate it. Thank you for being around and being part of our community. And thank you for supporting the channel for so long, dude. I really appreciate that, Jack. All right, next up, uh, Min Tran writes, one of two. Uh, John, the teacher that you praise uh, for in Shang-Chi was played by the legendary Chinese actor Hua Yun. He has been acting since 1966. He has credits being in over 180 films and 20 TV shows as an actor and over 40 films as a stunt coordinator. Besides Shang-Chi, you may know him as the landlord in Kung Fu Hustle or the cook in 2008 Australia. I grew up watching and re-watching his performances as Li Ching in 2001 Gods of Honor. Uh, I was happily surprised. And mar- marked out when I saw him in Shang-Chi. And by the way, Rob, he was also an action coordinator in a couple of Bruce Lee films as well. And he is just the way his delivery to in the movie. Like, I'm not gonna give away anything, but he looks at Aquafina and just says, Don't die. And then leaves. <laughs> it is so great. And the way um, uh, Wen Wu says to him, Watch how you speak to me, young man. <laughs> I'm just like,
1: I, I, lo- I love that.
0: I loved seeing him in it uh, and all that kind of stuff. So you're absolutely right, men. Uh, it was really cool seeing him pop up there and it's uh, it's nice seeing that. So thanks for bringing that up, men. Next up. Caleb writes, Hey John, with all the rumors regarding no way home, I won't lie. I'm a bit worried. Everyone seems only to care about Toby and Andrew and not Tom Holland. When, when it's, when it's his movie, I've been seeing people say they will review bomb. If Andrew and Toby aren't in it thoughts. Yeah, I've been seeing that too. Rob, look, there's just no other way to put it. <laughs>
1: That's just wacky. Why you're, would you say that? You're a loser.
0: <laughs> if you're one of these people, you're a loser. I, I get being excited about the p- potential of seeing something in a movie. But this whole thing is, if they don't do this in the movie, I'm not going to like it. Oh, shut the fuck up, you pathetic loser. I mean, just go and watch the movie and 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 judge the movie on its own merits. Listen, I get excited about maybe something being in a certain movie. I get, I do, too. But there's a difference between that. Rob, what did we say the other day? There's a difference between speculation and expectation, right? There's a difference between speculating that something could be in a movie and then expecting it to be in the movie. And then expectation turns into prerequisite. This like, okay, I'm speculating Toby and Andrew may be in it. Now I expect that they'll be in it. And now... For me to enjoy this film, it's a prerequisite. If Toby and Andrew aren't in this movie, I'm not going to like it. Oh, go fucking home. <laughs> Boo fucking who. I, I just, I hate it. And I think all of us as film fans have been guilty of that. Myself included. I think we've all been guilty of that. But grow the fuck up. We, we just, uh, you got to catch ourselves doing that. I don't know. And Rob, uh, to be fair, I don't hear it as much anymore. Like I did like a month or so ago. It was always, Toby and Andrew better be in this. I got to say, as we're getting a little bit closer to the movie, I don't hear as many people saying that anymore, which to me is good. What do you think?
1: Well, it's to me, it's it's bizarre that you would be angry about a movie that doesn't have something in it, because if it was never going to have that thing in it, why are you mad about it? Like, wouldn't you rather look at the movie on its own merits and be like, judge it for that? I I mean, let's say Tobey Maguire and Andrew Garfield are not in Spider-Man No Way Home, but Spider-Man No Way Home turns out to be a really great movie shouldn't, shouldn't it be allowed to be great? And this idea that I'm going to get mad if they're not in the movie. Well, if they weren't in the movie, they were never in the movie. So why are you getting mad about it? That would be, that would be John. That would be like me saying, gosh, I'm I'm really mad that Superman doesn't show up in Steven Spielberg's West side story to save the jets and the sharks from each other. Well, that's silly because Superman was never going to be in that movie. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, to have some uh, to be mad about something that was never going to be in happen in the first place. I mean, I can understand that. Like you said, we have been we we're setting ourselves up. It's bizarre to me. And look, I fell prey to the Wandavision speculation, you know. And 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 when the show was what the show was, it it never was going. Mephisto was never in that show. So for me to think he was, or to be disappointed when he doesn't show up is odd because he was never going to show up. (laughs) It was never part of the show. And yet we, 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 we talk ourselves into believing something as fans and it's weird if you think about it, it's just weird that we just made up some shit and believe it's going to happen. And then when it doesn't happen, we get mad that the stuff we made up doesn't
0: occur. And if you think about it, it's just, that's what a bizarre way to live. Again, it's, (laughs) To me, spe- I'm not. I'm not saying people shouldn't speculate. Speculating is fun. You and I were just doing it about Tom Hardy and My Way Home, and like speculation is fun. It's engaging. We love doing it. You just got to make sure that the speculation does not turn into expectation. If you keep it at bay, I think you're gonna have you're gonna really enjoy your fan life a lot more. I, I just I think that's just the best way to look at it. Okay. Uh, next up, an anonymous viewer writes. Uh, hey, John, I was watching your show the other day, and I noticed you said you played Dungeons & Dragons. Yes, I do. Uh, that being said, I have to ask, what is your favorite race and class to play? Also, thank you for working hard on the show. Keep up the great work. Well, I have been asked that a bunch, and Anne is actually the dungeon master of our game group. But at any rate, uh, I, I'm i not going to lie. I generally play human characters. My very first Dungeons & Dragons character, I was a kid, and I, I played a human wizard that I named Zap. Yes, I know, that's stupid, but I was a kid, zap. so shut up. Zap, Z-A-P, Zap. I named Zap the Wizard. Zap the Wizard. And you guess know what somebody's
1: going to do some fan art for you now, yep. John, and of you as bolts. Zap the Wizard.
0: That's what he did. He shot lightning bolts, and I called him Zap, okay? I was a kid, so shut up. But really, and I played Zap for years. I played that character for a long time. And then, but every character, I'm currently playing a human ranger named uh, Darwin. Uh, kind of like Aowin, <laughs> just Darwin. Um, uh, but I, I generally play, I like playing human characters. Even when I play like star Wars, the star Wars role playing game. Uh, now normally I'm the game master of, of, the star Wars games. But when I get to play star Wars, I generally still play, pick human characters. You I,
1: human supremacist. You, maybe that's it. Now. I don't know
0: why. I just feel like I can. I just feel like I can get into the game more when I can picture my character better. So I, yeah, I like to play, uh, I like to play human characters. So there we, I didn't ever ask you, Rob, have you ever played D and D? I don't know if yeah, you ever but have.
1: I haven't played, I haven't played D and D for a long time, but I played it when I was a kid. I even liked to DM a little bit. And, um, really? Uh, yeah. Yeah. You know why? Because DMing was really fun. Like you, you, you're creating a story and the players are the characters, but you, the overall story is your idea. So if you have a good, a good DM makes Dungeons Everything,
0: and everything. It's you know,
1: yeah, and 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 I liked doing that, you know, and my, my philosophy as a DM was I always try to kill everybody. <laughs> I always wanted them to die, but you had to do it in such a way where you couldn't, you, you couldn't just make the odds overwhelming. It had to be, you had to, you still had to make it a good game. And a, a DM is everything in Dungeons and Dragons.
0: Yep, it's everything in all role-playing games. It really is. The DM, yep. the DM is the heart of it. All right, uh, last one that we'll ask with Rob here. Uh, since, uh, since we're just about out of time for Rob, here, but James Bonner writes, good morning, everyone. I just read an article from cinema blend saying that Bryce Dallas Howard was getting ready to direct a reboot, a reboot of flight of the navigator for Disney. Plus, uh, <laughs> yeah. I'm all in what say you? Well, first of all, look, Rob, it sh- should be, of course, point out Bryce Dallas Howard, of course, uh, the daughter of one of the great directors, Ron Howard, and she has cut her teeth in directing. She's got her own little independent film, but also she's directed for Mandalorian. She's done directing yep. on episodes of The Mandalorian. And I thought she did a great job directing on The Mandalorian. And now she's doing a Flight of the Navigator reboot for Disney+. Plus. Um, listen, I'm not going to lie. I know Flight of the Navigator is one that a lot of people hold very, very dear to their hearts. I like Flight of the Navigator. I do. I, re- I remember it fondly. It's not one of my touchstone, key, pivotal movies growing up that I just always think about. It's not that all, but I think this is a nice one. And again, another nice next step for the directorial development of Bryce Dallas Howard, right? It's not like she just did one Mandalorian. Now let's rush her in and and direct the next Avengers. They're developing her well. I think she's making really smart decisions for her career. And I think she's, look, if, if what we saw from her in Mandalorian is any indication, and, you know, she's got the pedigree, I mean, she comes from the 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 loins of Ron Howard. I mean, <laughs> I think she can turn into something really, really nice as a filmmaker. So I'm again, Rob, I'll use the word curious. I am curious about this Flight of the Navigator reboot. What do sure. you think?
1: Well, you know, I liked Flight of the Navigator. It was a fun kind of wish fulfillment movie. Um, I think that why why not? I mean, I'll go see it. <laughs> it's 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 about a kid who gets alien technology. What's not to love?
0: <laughs> yeah. I agree. Well, anyway, Rob, I know we've kept you over time here today. Thanks a lot for being here again, my friend. We'll talk to you again tomorrow, obviously, but in the meantime, where can people, by the way, I just want to point out, um, there's a little film called Tango Shalom that the actual United Nations is even tweeting about.
1: <laughs> Dude, I the United can't even
0: nations is actually tweeting about this little movie Tango Shalom. But anyway, Rob, uh, tell people a little something about Tango Shalom. Where can people see it? And then where can people well, follow it, you online?
1: It's so as people know, I produced and edited a little film called Tango Shalom that unbeknownst, I I can't even it's in theaters now. It's playing in Miami and it's playing in Palm Springs and it's in Scottsdale, Arizona. Very, very, very limited release. It's still in Los Angeles and New York as well, but it keeps going. Like it's not burning up the box office charts, but it's certainly paying for itself to be in theaters. And they're talking about expanding the release every week. And I'm like, please don't release it further in October. Cause we're going to get clobbered, but, but it's still out there. And then UNESCO, which is the education uh, arm of the United Nations tweeted out about Tango Shalom and how it's interfaith depiction of religions cooperating uh, despite their differences They tweeted it out on Friday and they tweeted it out again today. I'm like, you can't, you, I couldn't pay for better. Um, I wish they'd done it earlier so we could put their tweets on the movie poster. (laughs) But I mean, it's, it's, it's just, John, it's amazing. It's amazing to have worked on this little movie that defines independent cinema. It didn't cost very much. It was a labor of love for five years for everybody involved. Uh, The co-writer and co-star Joseph Bologna passed away during the making of the movie and to have the validation of the United Nations tweeting this movie out? I can't believe it. Like, you, you, you never, I, I just, it's so bizarre to me. And by the way, John, most of the movie was finished from the editorial standpoint on the computer that I'm talking to you on right now. Yes, it was. And it's just, it's just weird, man. I mean, it's great. And, you know, it's, it's, it's a movie for your mothers and grandmothers. No, it's a movie <laughs> for everybody. But like, I, I, I say that it's a, it's an indie Jewish spiritual quest family dance comedy fable. And uh, if that sounds like your thing, hey, and it'll be available on VOD on October 29th.
0: Awesome. Well, thanks again, Rob, for being here and we'll talk to you again tomorrow. Have a good one. Uh, talk to you later, man. Ladies and gentlemen, the one and the only Mr. Robert Meyer Burnett, and he of course will be back again tomorrow, but listen, we still got some time here. So let's keep going through more of your live comments and questions. Shall we? We'll get picked things up here with Yumi who writes. So Dune visually stunning and music is magnificent, but unfortunately, I did not enjoy it as much as I hoped with no prior knowledge. I could sense the importance of many scenes, but didn't understand them. I really hope they make part two. So it feels complete. That's, that's a comment I'm hearing from most people that they still like it. I haven't seen it yet myself, but a lot of people I've been hearing mention you really do feel the halfness of it that you really do feel. This was only half the story. And it's going to be interesting to see how I feel about that. As I get in to go watch it. Thanks for sharing your thoughts. Yumi. next up, my favorite viewer writes in: Hey, Mister John, with all these rumors going around for Charlie Cox and Vincent D'Onofrio coming in the MCU as their Netflix characters, but can this really happen? Does doesn't Netflix hold the rights for these interpretations? It, uh, they, it wouldn't just give give it up to Disney. Well, I mean, yes. And by the way, no, I don't believe Vincent D'Onofrio and Charlie Cox are coming into the MCU, unless they're coming into the MCU as other characters, because they can do that. They can play a different character. I do not believe, I'm not saying take it to the bank, I'm just saying I do not believe Charlie Cox and Vincent D'Onofrio are coming into the MCU as, as Daredevil and Kingpin. I don't believe that's happening. It's possible, though. See, and yes, Netflix owns the right to those iterations, but there's nothing they can do with them. Like, they can't make more of them. They're not allowed to make any more of them. And while they do have the rights to those iterations, new deals can be made. If Kevin Feige really wanted to use that Matt Murdock and that Kingpin, that Wilson Fisk, they could make a deal with Netflix and buy the rights back or trade off something or whatever. It could happen. It could be done. Again, Kevin Feige does not like using other people's sloppy seconds, so I I doubt that'll happen, but it is possible. New deals can be made. So while I don't think it's going to happen, I don't think Kevin Feige wants to do that, whatever, you can't deny it's possible. So, you know, I'm just going to throw that out there. Okay, next up. Uh, let's see here. Uh, Sergeant Ward writes, John, why do you care what Denis thinks of Marvel? Uh, why does anybody care what he thinks? Why does this have to be a big deal whenever someone, some famous person gives an opinion of something popular? Why can't we just move on? Well, I think this is of course, going back to the comments last week that Denis Villeneuve, good Canadian kid, by the way, the director of the upcoming Dune, probably the best director working in Hollywood today at least at this very moment. I think he's at the height of his powers right now. Like he's just, he's the guy right now. Uh, Of course, making his comments about saying that he thinks Marvel movies are just cookie cutter. I find it ironic that a director is calling a, a director who is now trying to get people to go out to see his remake of a remake of a popular book is accusing Marvel of being cookie cutter, which is just moronic. That being said, I have no problem with the celebrity any celebrity, be it an actor, a filmmaker or whatever. And I was very clear about this. I have no problem. If somebody is asked a direct question, giving a direct answer, right? Like saying, Hey, I have no problem. If somebody asks an actor, Hey, do you like comic book movies? And if they don't like comic book movies saying, you know what? Not really. I don't, I don't personally like comic book movies. They're not for me. They just don't click with me. So, Hey, I'm super glad they're successful, but I don't personally like comic book movies. I think there is nothing wrong with that at all. But I believe if you are a filmmaker, you are a professional filmmaker. You work with the studios. Hell, half of your cast in Dune have starred in comic book movies. Right? One of your 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 uh, Duke Atreides is about to be Moon Knight. You know, Jason Momoa is Aquaman. You have, and there are other, Dave Bautista is in Guardians of the Galaxy. You're a film, like half of your cast have been in comic book movies. I think if you're a filmmaker, I, I find it very classless when professional filmmakers in, in the studio system shit on the work of other filmmakers. I, I just think that's classless. I really do. Again, if somebody were to straight up ask, even leave, do you like comic book movies? And he said, you know what? Comic book movies aren't for me. I have no problem with that. That's fine. But to go out of your way to shit on the work of other filmmakers and to shit on the work of movies that half of your cast appears in, I just think there's no point in that. There's no, there's no purpose to that. It's kind of the same reason why I personally have a, a philosophy and, and a thing on my show. I don't talk about other YouTube channels. I, I just don't think, I think that's classless. So I don't do it. I don't talk about other YouTube channels. I'll talk about the industry and and all that kind of stuff. But yeah, I I just don't think, um, I think it's classless for him to do it. I also think it's ignorant. Um, And uh, yeah, I just don't think as as a professional filmmaker and as a director that you should be out there actively shitting on the work of other directors. I just think it's classless. And listen, I love Denis Villeneuve. He is one of my favorite directors in the business today. Dune is my number one most anticipated movie, and it still is. And he's a good Canadian kid. I'm just saying, as a Canadian kid myself, I'm kind of disappointed that he would act in such an unclassy way. Because he's a classy guy. Denis Villeneuve is a classy guy. And I think those comments were beneath him. So I was disappointed to see them. It doesn't make me all of a sudden hate Denis Villeneuve. Not at all. No my most anticipated film of the year, not at all. But I, I am disappointed. I'm disappointed that he would uh, that he as a director would uh, would do that. Especially when you know, hell even Josh Brolin is Thanos. Josh Brolin in his movie is Thanos for heaven's sakes. And cable. But uh yeah, I was I'll just leave it as saying I was very disappointed in the comments of Denis Villeneuve. I'll I'll, I'll just say that. I'm still a big fan, still love him very much, still a good Canadian kid, but I was very disappointed in his comments. But that's just me. It was a, it was, it was just a classless thing to say. Anyway, uh, next up, uh, big will writes, Hey, John and crew. So, um, did you, Andrew Garfield, I'm going to guess you're going to ask, did I see, did you see Andrew Garfield on Jimmy Fallon the other day when he was asked about Spider-Man no way home, his facial reaction was so perfect by denying that he's in the movie. I couldn't help but get excited. Uh, Your thoughts. I think everybody's reading way too much into it, but yeah, for, um, for the moment, Andrew Garfield's official statement is: look, I am not involved with Spider-Man No Way Home. We will find out soon enough if that's true or not. But he continues to deny it everywhere he goes. All right. Uh, Denis Villeneuve apologist writes, one of two. Regarding Denis' uh, comments, I think he's right. I think he's saying, sorry, let me start again. Denis Villeneuve's comments, I think he's saying that Marvel movies are generic, which is completely ridiculous but he'd be entitled to that opinion. Uh and I kind of agree. I thought Shang-Chi was pretty bland and a mashup of the martial arts genre with Doctor Strange, Black Panther, Thor, etc. Uh there's an e- there's even a bit of Matrix and Harry Potter in there. However, even if Dune fails, it looks like a it looks like unique art. Just my opinion. John, but don't beat me up. Still love you, bro. I but I here's, here's the thing about Dune. Dune, there's nothing unique about Dune. It's a remake of a remake of an already existing book. It's not like Denis Villeneuve. It's not like Dune didn't exist. And then Denis Villeneuve created this brand new universe. No, he's taking something that's been around for decades, was made into a movie, was then made into a TV movie, and now he's making it into a movie again. What's unique about that? It's the exact same thing that's been done three times before. And of course, I'm all for it. It's my number one most anticipated movie of the year. But here's the thing. You can take any movie in history, you can take any movie that's ever been made and say, oh, that movie is a mix of this, 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 and this. You will find in any movie elements of some other movies, any film, any film. So if you want to play that game and say, I found this movie to be a mix of uh, this, 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 and this, you have to acknowledge that you can play that game with any movie. You can say Avatar that, you know, nominated for Best Picture. It was a kind of a mix of this, 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 and this. You know, I love Nomadland, which won Best Picture the other year at the Academy Awards. And, you know, Chloe Zhao reigning, defending Best Director of the World right now. I love Nomadland. It's one of my favorite movies in years. I love that movie. But I've also talked on my channel about, it's got a little bit of elements of this movie and a little bit of elements of that movie and all that kind of stuff. So you can play that game, but you can also play that game with every movie ever made. So it's just got to be, You know, you just got to pick and choose uh, where you got to see that. Anyway, uh, next up, uh, Diego writes, I got to say the comments made by Denis Villeneuve made me a bit less excited about Dune. Uh, It kind of puts a damper on it, and I don't know why. I feel that if there was an audience uh, that is actually going to go see Dune in that theaters, it's MCU fans, why say that? I, I mean, that's the other thing. Aside from the fact that his comments were a little classless, in my opinion. And again... The most classy people will sometimes do things classless. The most good people will sometimes do things that are bad. I mean, everybody's going to trip over their own words. Sometimes. Everybody does it. I do it. You do it. We all do it. Denis Villeneuve does it. it. I get it. I do. It has not made me any less excited for Dune. Again, still my number one most anticipated movie. But I did see a lot of people writing and then saying, well, that does it. I guess I'm going to watch Dune on HBO Max instead of paying to see it in theaters. I mean, I saw a lot of that. I saw a lot of that. So aside from the fact that I thought his comments were lacked class, for especially for a guy who is so classy, it was also incredibly dumb from a business point of view. Why intentionally disparage and shit on your audience, calling them basically zombies if they like. Why would you do that for a movie you're trying to get people to come out and see your film in theaters? It made very, very little sense to me. It was just a not smart thing to say. And again, I, at, at all, it's like some people saying, well, John, why are you saying nobody should criticize Martin? No, I'm not saying that. If Denis Villeneuve was asked, hey, what do you think about comic book movies? And he just basically said, you know what? They're not for me. I, I, You know, they don't personally mean a lot to me. I don't particularly myself find myself getting attached to them. So I don't personally like them. There is nothing wrong with that. But to come out and make the comments he made, one, a little bit classless. Two, I thought it was just dumb from a business perspective because- I think, I think that's gonna have an impact, unfortunately. Not for me, because to me it's my still my most anticipated film of the year. All right. Uh Luke Manley, by the way, uh sends in a super chat badge in the live chat. Thank you, Luke. I appreciate that, man. All right. Next up, uh, we go to uh Dilly's Willie writes, Hey John, longtime fan, but first time writing in. Thank you so much for that, dude. Uh, two films I haven't really heard you talk about are Candyman. We did discuss Candyman and The Green Knight. We talked a lot about The Green Knight. Uh, I thoroughly enjoyed both, but I wanted a little more from Candyman. Uh, what are your thoughts? Uh, be well and bring on the filthy. See, Green Knight is actually. Here's the thing. I think some people go into something like Green Knight and when they sit down and watch it, it's called The Green Knight. They're expecting this big harrowing adventure of sword and sorcery and stuff like that. And that's just not what the original tale of The Green Knight is. And Dev Patel was excellent in it. Joel Edgerton was excellent in it. I think it's a wonderful story. I think it's really wonderful, but it really wasn't for a lot of people because a lot of people thought it was going to be something different. And I get that. But personally, I thought I thought it was great. I thought it was wonderful storytelling. I think the the actual lore of it is fantastic. And yeah, I thought it was just gorgeous and beautiful and a really well told story. But that's just me. All right, thanks for that, Dilly. Next up, uh, Wu Tang Dynasty writes uh, one or two. Hey, John, I love the show. However. I've got to say that watching the last few MCU shows slash movies did make me feel like a zombie inside, especially the third act of Shang-Chi. Oh, I thought the third act of Shang-Chi was the best part of it. Have you seen the pitch meeting about it? Ryan Ryan jokes about the formulaic format of the MCU movies having a checklist to cross off. It's in good fun, but it does highlight tropes slash stereotypes that Denis was alluding to. Scorsese, Denis, Nolan, Bong Joon-ho, Spielberg are arguably the top five auteurs, so I do respect their thoughts. But here's the thing. You can't take anything in the... Because I loved the pitch meeting for Shang-Chi. I loved it. It's fabulous. But you have to understand, these are all done in fun. And by the way, some they also go out of the way to say about how Shang-Chi is not formulaic. You know, like the way is There's a guy and the girl, and they don't hook up, and they're not interested. But these are all things that you could say are prominent in all action movies or all whatever. There are certain things that action movies all have a villain. Does that mean an action film that has a villain is formulaic cuz it has a villain? No, it's just there are some standard things that you do see in a lot of action films. You have an antagonist, you have a protagonist. Most of these films are built in the three, classic three-act structure. Most of them have a hero's journey and that a, a, an, a an obstacle that a hero has to overcome to achieve the goal of the hero and stuff like that. Yes, but does that mean every single movie made is formulaic? No. It's not. And I don't think that's at all what they were pointing out in, uh, in the um, uh, pitch meeting video. And again, I would encourage you, if you haven't seen the pitch meeting video that Wu Tang Dynasty is talking about, you really should. It's absolutely hilarious. It's really, really funny. All right. Uh, next up, we've got Patrick Wrights um just got home from seeing dune and imax here in switzerland film of the year for me so far cinematography storytelling directing and pacing all fantastic not one moment seems wasted i hope they continue as the story is clearly unfinished nine out of ten and that's what we're hearing a lot patrick from our uh, film loving friends in europe who have seen the movie they're basically most of them are saying they love it but it feels completely incomplete And it really does feel like half a movie. So I'm going to be very, very interested, uh, Patrick, to see how I feel when I see that. Because it's really interesting noting that a lot of you guys are saying that same thing. So thanks for sharing your thoughts on it, Patrick. Chloe Dakota Fanning writes, what is the need to have an 8K TV uh, when other technologies can't even support it? They need to just stay at 4K for now until everything else can catch up. Even the PlayStation and Xbox can't support 8K. Uh, you want to be watching nothing in 8K false marketing. Here's the thing, Chloe. The way that 8K is being introduced, and by the way, I believe 8K is completely pointless. The human eye can only perceive so much. Like, the human eye can only perceive so much. Um, And by the way, I mean, HD... Full 1080 HD to me still looks quite good. Like the jump in quality, I've said this before, and maybe some of you guys agree, maybe some of you guys disagree. To me, the jump in quality from VHS to DVD or even DVD to Blu-ray, you know, from standard def 480 or 320 to 1080, that quality jump was Far more significant than the jump from 1080 to 4K. From a pure eye test, the jump in quality from VHS and DVD to Blu ray was far more significant. And, and by the way, the jump from VHS to DVD was more significant than the jump from DVD to Blu-ray. And the jump from Blu-ray to from DVD to Blu-ray, I think was quite more significant than the jump from Blu-ray to 4K. You know? Like if you watch something on VHS and then watch something on Blu-ray, you 100% notice the difference. There are many, many times they have something on and people ask, so is this uh, HD or 4K? And you just don't know you just don't know cuz the human eye can only perceive so much that being said the the television industry the TV manufacturing industry needs to keep creating new things or else people people you got like i've got my 75 inch 4k high dynamic range tv hanging in my living room right I never have to buy another TV again ever until I decide I want a bigger one, like if I want like a 90-inch or something like that. But until that happens, I never need another TV. So what does the TV manufacturing industry do? Well, now you need 8K so they can sell more TVs. Otherwise, I'm never buying another TV. And then now you need 10K and now you need 50 bajillion K and your eye will never perceive a difference. But but it's a chicken and egg sort of question because nobody's going to make 8K content unless there are people who own 8K devices that can play them. But... Why are people going to buy 8K devices if there's no 8K content, right? So it's a chicken and egg thing. But the same thing happened with 4K. They were rolling out 4K televisions and getting people to buy 4K televisions really before there was. There still isn't a lot of significant 4K content, but there is certainly a lot more now today than there was like a year and a half ago. But they were rolling out televisions that people could have at home even when there was very little, if any, 4K content but it just made you ready for it. And then once people started adopting 4K at home, then places started rolling out the 4K content. It's kind of the same thing about 8K. And I have no desire to get 8K. I, I will not buy an 8K TV at least for another three, four, five years. I am so in love with the TV that I have. The Again, the only thing that's going to make me change my TV right now is the is if I want a larger TV. That's it. Otherwise, 75-inch, 4K, high dynamic range, I'm great. I'm great. I don't need another one. And I have no interest in 8K right now because I really don't think we're going to notice the difference. But that's just me. But that is why they do it, because they need people adopting it in the homes before they create the content. So it's just the way of approaching it, Chloe. Good question, though. Uh, Next up, an anonymous viewer writes, uh, have you heard the Venom 2 post credit scene? Uh, yeah, we're not going to talk about it, though, because if it's if it's fake, don't want to get anything going. If it's real, don't want to do it, so we're just going to ignore it. Uh, Luke S. writes, uh, Hi, John. Someone echoing Denis Villeneuve's comment about comic book films. I have to say, I got superhero fatigue a few years ago when watching Doctor Strange. I think I'm kind of bored with these now, since I haven't watched any MCU films after. Uh, after Doctor Strange and haven't watched any comic book superhero films since the first Wonder Woman film. I'll admit I was never a big comic book fan, but I used to get excited about a new MCU film before. Now I'm just kind of meh. And listen, that's your individual thing, Luke. I get that. I get that. That's your own individual feeling on it. And that's the beauty of the subjectivity of film. However, before the pandemic set in, let me see if I can bring this up. Uh, box office mojo here. Before the pandemic set set in, right? So let's go back to 2019. Let's go back to 2019. Avengers, Captain Marvel, um, Spider Man No Way Home, Joker. These these are all comic book movies that came out that year. All of them made over a billion dollars at the box office. Avengers made something like two point eight. Billion, the, yeah, but almost two point eight billion dollars at the box office. So it's fine for us to talk about, um, you know, comic book movies, this, that, and then we'll just go back to the year before that. Black Panther made a billion dollars. Avengers made over a billion dollars. Uh, Deadpool two made almost a billion dollars. I mean, these. So it's fine that you as an individual. Because we all do. We all have certain things that that work for us, don't work for us, and the trends we go through. But you can't deny that the popularity of these movies continues to soar. Right? Again, just look prior to the pandemic hitting. Like comic book film after comic book film was making billion dollars at the movies. Even a Joker, which was completely divorced from any sort of shared cinematic universe, and it was making a billion dollars. So I get that. And You know, at some point, like sometimes people get tired of medical dramas. They get bored of those. Eventually, some people get tired or get fatigue of cop movies or cop TV shows. Sometimes people get sitcom fatigue. Sometimes people get rom-com fatigue. It happens, yes. But look at the health of it overall. The health of it overall is stupidly strong. It's stupidly strong. As a matter of fact, even in the pandemic era right now, the two biggest films are both comic book movies. You know, Black Widow, which I didn't think was all that great, and Shang-Chi, which I think is absolutely magnificent. So, yeah, you can have your own individual feelings about it. Absolutely, it's totally valid. But don't confuse your own individual take on it with, and don't make that get you to ignore the overall performance of these films kind of proving that these are still the movies. These are still the ones that get most people out and get the most excited about it. All right. Anyway, thanks for sharing your thoughts on that, Luke. Thank you for giving us your observations on it. All right. Let's see. Last one today. Um, Sergeant Ward writes, uh, Denis Villeneuve said himself that he thinks hiring Chloe Zhao is genius because uh, because she is radically different from the Marvel. I think his criticisms of Marvel only come from MCU's lack of artistic freedom. Uh, It's again, I don't want to, I don't want to say what Denis Villeneuve was thinking because none of us know what's in there. But it's great that he praises Chloe Zhao. She's an Academy Award-winning director. But I think it's really shitty of him to, in one breath, say, Chloe Zhao's great, and then shit on the work of other directors. I, I just think that's, again, for a guy who is so classy for a guy who is so talented and so classy as denis Villeneuve is i thought that was these were comments that were really beneath him and i guarantee you this he regrets his comments i 100% guarantee you he regrets what he said or how he said it and remember english is not his first language keep that in mind english is not Denis' first language so maybe there was even you know mistakes in how in, in saying how he said it right so anyway, just, just keep that in mind as well. Anyway, guys, listen, there are still more questions to come from Hawkeye's lost arrow, Dr. Nova, uh, soul brother, Mac and more. Do not worry. We are going to have a companion video later today. Maybe it'll even be an after dark. Maybe we'll do a live after dark later tonight and we will get much more caught up on all the questions here. Cause there are a few more here to come, but for now, That'll do it guys for today's installment of the John Campion show. Thank you so much for being here and making this show part of your day. Thanks to Robert Meyer Burnett for being here and a special thank you to all you guys who sent in these live comments and questions and you guys who sent in the super chat badges as well. Not only because you gave us great fun things to talk about, but you also supported this channel as you did it. And all of us involved here at the John Campion show. Thank you guys so very much for your support. Guys, don't forget, we'll be back again tomorrow for the next installment of the John Campion Show. Thank you so much for being here. That'll do it for me, guys. My name's John Campion. Until next time, my friends, bye-bye.